Welcome to Grow PDX here on X-Ray FM. Grow PDX is a live call-in radio show and podcast focused on gardening, farming, community food systems, and more. You know, plants for people, pollinators, and the planet. And now we turn to the host of Grow PDX, Weston Miller of Oregon State University. Good afternoon and welcome to Grow PDX on X-Ray FM and on Facebook Live at The Oregonian. I'm your host, Weston Miller, with digital producer Diana Suarez. We're thrilled to have Lucy Hardiman on the show today. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Lucy. Hello. Welcome. How are you? Yeah. Lucy is a nationally recognized garden designer, writer, teacher, and speaker, and a Northwest Horticulture Ambassador. We will get to know Lucy shortly, but first, let's celebrate our plant of the week, which is Podophyllum Spotty Dotty. Cool! <laughs> so, Lucy, you brought this sample for us. Why do you like this plant? Because it's bizarre. It is, it is bizarre. bizarre. And let me hold it up for the camera oh, for Facebook do. Live. So, oh, how is it bizarre? It was one of the first hybrids of podophyllums, and they were trying to breed for interesting color. This came before the one called Kaleidoscope. So it's it's just really crazy. And it's mottled green and yeah, purple. Like a purple and yeah. brown. And what I love about it is that the shape of the leaf is never the same. Okay, it's so all the basic shape, but the, the size of the leaf and how it's indented is different on every leaf. Wow. And tell us about the plant. What, what's its growth, growing habit? It, it gets about two feet tall, and it'll form a large clump. I have enough now that I can get div the, dig them up and give them away. Okay. Oh. And it likes shade, part shade, no afternoon sun, uh, needs water in the summer, but great in woodland understory, interesting leaf texture and form, something really different for the shade garden. And we've got a, a Facebook listener saying that it looks like the stars from the land before time. So it's <laughs> a bit of a <laughs> bit of a kaleidoscope. It's really yes. a pretty cool leaf pattern. What kind of conditions does this plant like, Lucy? Regular water in the summer. It goes dormant in the winter completely underground. And when it comes up, it's at its most interesting. It sends up this little hat and then the hat unfurls very weird very other other world plant it likes part shade no direct hot sun no afternoon sun at all okay good under rhododendrons acubas anywhere in a shade bed where you'd have epimediums and hostas and ferns okay so in the shade and giving it some water during giving the it water during the summer that's good to know now one of the common names of this plant is may apple which might lead someone to think that it's edible, but the whole plant is poisonous, right? The whole plant is poisonous. And um, I also noticed that a, another common name is mandrake, yes. which makes me think of the squealing plants <laughs> yeah. on Harry Potter. Yes. Um, did this one squeal when you picked it? Well, no, Aww. but I no. could squeal. I bet you the dirt squealed a little bit. Roots don't like being taken out of the dirt. I'm well, sure I didn't take it out of the dirt. I <laughs> she cut just, it. Oh, got she it. just That's, made a yeah, nice I little wasn't, I should have brought you your own plants. It was Will? just a little... <laughs> Because it was a little snip. <laughs> so that's po- Podophyllum Spotty Dotty. Thanks for bringing cool. that in, Lucy. You're welcome. You're with Grow PDX Radio Show and Podcast. I'm your host, Weston Miller, with Diana Suarez. We're talking with Lucy Hardiman, nationally recognized garden designer and writer based here in Portland. We want to say hello to our listeners on X-Ray FM and also to folks out there on Facebook. Diana, who's joining us? We today are joined by David, Katie, Adam, and another David. And yeah, Will, our our producer over there is waving at us. It's great. Thanks, awesome. folks. Well, thanks for joining us. And now, Lucy Hardiman, you're a garden designer and an ambassador, really, for horticulture here in the Portland area. For folks who know you, they probably have seen you in many roles. Tell us about yourself for folks who've never met you before. 
for folks who have never met me, I'm a fifth generation Oregon gardener. My fifth great grandfather was the wagon master on a wagon train from Independence, Missouri to Independence, Oregon in 1845. Okay, so, so the first early wagon, settlers, first wave. Very early. Yeah. The first wave was actually in 40, 1843. Gardening is just genetic in my family, and my grandparents had fabulous gardens, as did my parents. And I think my interest in plants, and especially in design, was really when I first saw a landscape architect working with my parents when they were designing the garden of the house I grew up in. Okay. And I got to see what she did, and it was a woman, which was really <laughs> impressive. That's, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And that stuck with me, and I just grew up gardening, and that's just sort of where it all began, was at home. Yeah, and so uh, for garden design, say I'm a new homeowner and I want to have an awesome landscape mm-hmm. with lots of cool stuff, what are what is the process and can you coach us on what what best techniques are? Yeah, I, and that all starts before you get to the technique part. Making a garden is all about look at the, looking at the architectural style of the house, sure. where it's situated, the region, whether it's a country garden, an urban garden, or a suburban uh-huh. space. Got it. And it all begins with, I think, living in the space for as, at least six months to a year. It's better if you can live there a year and see to, to what happens. To catch a full season to, right, of all the, the sun and shade and yep. all Absolutely. of the, the animals and the critters that are coming through. The critters mm-hmm. and where water pools after a hard rain, what kind of drainage issues you have, uh, especially if you live on the east side, are winds from the gorge mm. impacting where you're going to garden. So it's, it's really about, about the situation and the sense of place is where you start. Got it. That's great advice. And after you spend a year or so <laughs> observing and and planning and really analyzing the site what comes next in garden design what comes next is the the next step is really knowing what you want to do in your space mm-hmm. and sort of figuring out do you are is your thing plants are you looking for outdoor entertaining space do you have children do you have pets do you have huge trees do you have sun do you have shade so that's part of that site analysis piece and then mm-hmm. it's about figuring out how you're gonna do it. Are you gonna do this all on your own? Are you gonna have a designer come in or a horticulturalist and give you and do a consultation where you walk and talk and you look at challenges and opportunities on the site? Mm-hmm. It, it's helpful to get a pair of outside eyes oh, to check it, out a site and provide some input. Absolutely, and, and I work with a, a collaborative group in my business and I always have their eyes on my site <laughs> <laughs> just to get input from them. Um, yeah, and so what? Yeah, how do we? How do I choose the right plant? What is some more guidance <laughs> on specifically? Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other story. Go- plants are all about right plant, right place, mm-hmm. and plants that you want to put together need to be what's called culturally compatible. Okay. They need the same amount of light, the sh- same amount of shade, the same soil. Uh-huh. All the prevailing conditions have to be similar for each plant. Okay. And where new gardeners get in trouble is when they pull this and that and don't do the research to see what they're going to really need to, to thrive and survive. Uh-huh. And then somebody's always going to be the loser. So grouping plants according to common um, cultural needs. needs is a great starting place. Yeah, what is. are some like some plants that you would put into like a common cultural? Well, let's use the common cultural yeah. situation of, yeah. um, of shady or dryty shade, yeah. dry shade. Epimediums, ferns, both deciduous and evergreen ferns. If you have enough water to support the podophyllum, you'd have enough water for 
pastas, you would want to have some shrubs. Um, good choices, of course, are the archetypal um, rhododendrons that are all over the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Plants like um, Vaccinium ovatum, our evergreen native huckleberry, is a wonderful understory plant. Uh, vine maples. Okay. And other things that we could pull from the native genre. Mm-hmm. Okay, so lots of different choices for that particular area. How about full sun? Full sun's really fun. And it most, is really fun. Most <laughs> of my garden is really full sun. So I really, I've got lots of Arctostaphylus, which are native um, plants. And what do those look like? Manzanita. Manzanita. Really oh. beautiful reddish bark. Yeah. Um, right now bark. they're flowering okay. with little white umbel they're type evergreen. shaped flowers. They're evergreen. They're native to the West Coast, Coast of North America. They're, they're fabulous. Um, okay. I grow a lot of bulbs, minor mm-hmm. bulbs, because in my dry beds. And parts of my garden get no summer water at all. So it's all about mm-hmm. plants from dry land climates. I'm there with you in terms of getting <laughs> plants established and then letting yeah, them fend for themselves. And it really takes doing the research to make sure that they are from climates where it dries out during the summer. And some of those main climates would be here on the West Coast, the Mediterranean yeah. region, South Africa, and so on. Now, Lucy, can you give us a couple of recommendations in terms of hardscape to help folks <laughs> make a unique and intriguing scene? I think there are lots of materials that are available and uh, things don't have to be new. We see a lot of people using materials that they're repurposing, reimagining. Go to the rebuilding center. Go to the rebuilding center, everything from making your water feature out of a bathtub. Um, We use a lot of quarter minus gravel Mm -hmm. as flat work surfacing because it aids and abets drainage. Okay. We don't ever use, or we try not to use materials where we're having to use mortar mix or concrete. And so it's it's pervious, meaning it's pervious. Water, will water will infiltrate. Will infiltrate. It's uh, also a little bit softer and softer. nicer to walk around on. A lot of, of cedar chips for walkways, mm-hmm. especially in woodland understory areas. Cool. Now, Lucy, you gave us a glimpse of your beginnings. Um, how would you really first dive into ornamental horticulture in your career? Well, first with my parents. You know, we shopped at Bovie's Nursery, which is a very well-known old nursery here. Long gone now, I take it. No, it's still still here. They're still in business. Still in the same location up off of of Boone's Ferry. Okay. They're still in business. Different different people own it. Okay. Still specializing in woodland understory and rhododendrons. Then um, school, going to school. Okay, and, and what's your, your academic background? <laughs> English and history. English and history, okay. So totally unrelated to gardening. No, but not at all. Well, um, e- English and history actually have played a really important role in, in writing and also in doing research for lectures and that sort of thing. That's cool. Cool. Learning by doing is really what I embrace. And that's especially true for horticulture, where learning by doing, you it really is a hands-on activity. It is. And you have to do it, and you have to observe, and it takes a lifetime, and that's really one of the joys of it. It is, and you're right. You said observe, and obs- good gardeners are the best observers. So this is Grow PDX Radio Show. We're talking with Lucy Hardiman about garden design and interesting landscape plants here on X-Ray FM. I've gotten a couple questions via Facebook Live. One is about asparagus. Is it uh, <laughs> time to start asparagus even with all the rain 
the answer is sure. Now is a great time. <laughs> um, soils are starting to dry out a little bit, except for last night, set us back a little bit. Um, but asparagus is pretty hardy. And another question was about moss under trees. And I would say overall moss is something that's going to happen in shady areas here. So I would probably learn to embrace it in a lot of ways. And if it's growing in your trees, uh, that's a sign of a verdant scene and it doesn't really harm landscape trees and shrubs. Um, so overall, I'd say uh, encourage moss and know that it's going to come in shady areas because that's here we are in Western Oregon. <laughs> And we're going to return to our conversation with Lucy Hardiman. Lucy, you've got some additional plant recommendations for us. Tell us about Brunner or Jack Frost. Well, Brunner or Jack Frost wilted on the way over. <laughs> and I pulled it out of the water. I'm sorry. No, I, uh, but what I love about it is the foliage. The bloom is very typical forget-me-not. The soft blues with a little hint of pink. Uh, nice tall stems that stand above the foliage. But what's really so wonderful about this plant is the actual leaf itself. Green it's background a, with a silver shield, nice, interesting pattern work. I like things that have patterns, obviously, if I bring spotty it's really, It's cooler than variegated. It's it, a little it more It really detailed. is, it doesn't have, it, because it's overall. So it's a really interesting shady ground cover. And, and it's all, it's it got a, little blue purple flowers, yeah, forget yeah, me not dots, like, yeah. okay. And then how about the dicentra? Well, this is a really unusual dicentra. This is not the, doesn't resemble our native dicentra much at all. It's a hybrid. But it has this incredible, vivid, vivid lime green foliage and then the hot pink and white hearts. Those are and it's already blooming. It's already blooming. Yeah. It comes out of the ground from the moment you see it begin to push. It'll be only about two and a half weeks before it's a foot and a half tall wow. and starting to be in full bloom. Okay, huh. so chartreuse leaves. Chartreuse, lime um, green, nice, hot pink. Nice, really cool pink <laughs> flowers, very, very early. Very early and not everybody likes the color combo, but I certainly do. It does go summer dormant. Okay. So you want to put it near another plant that will Take overtake over that, that space in okay, time. Okay, great advice. Awesome. It's cool. really fun. Yeah. Now, all of these plants really are going to do well in shadier locations. What's the key for success in growing plants in the shade? Fairly rich, richer soil than you need necessarily in the sun. So, so they're woodland plants, woodland so they like plants, to grow in nice, rich nice soil. Nice, rich soil. A lot of them want some summer water, although a lot of them, after they're established, will be fairly drought tolerant. Uh, it's often more difficult to grow plants in dry shade, especially where you have a lot of surface underground roots. That makes mm -hmm. life a little so bit more difficult. Underneath Douglas fir and underneath pine trees and places like and that cedars. that have really yeah. well-developed shallow, root, shallow systems, root systems, it's harder to get plants yeah. established there. It really is. But if you can get them established there, then they, they do okay. They'll do okay. And that's and where I'd probably it. urge folks to stick towards the natives, which really natives can handle that. Natives will work there in those situations. Okay. Um, in your free time, Lucy, what, you're involved with a, a number. It, it's free time in quotation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah free time. time. Um, you're involved with a number of local and regional horticultural initiatives. What are some of the things that you guys are, have been working on? Well, I'm very involved. I'm a member of the Great Plant Picks Committee, which is a group that is funded by the Miller Trust in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And it's a program that evaluates plants for gardeners who live in the Pacific Northwest. 
So that's one of the things that's I've been doing that for about 14 years, and that's sort of wow. a brain trust of people way smarter than I am. <laughs> and by evaluation, is is bringing in new plants and seeing if they're going to be suitable in terms of growing if out here. In suitable the for conditions. gardeners, home gardeners in our area. So it's evaluation and education both. So we do some actual um, trialing of plants, and we've done a lot with O. OSU down at the experimental station in Charbonneau uh-huh. with Neil Bell, yep. especially on um, the plants that are dry land plants. The Hebes and the Archistaphylos. And, 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 and all of and that family, Ceanothus, all of those things we've worked on with him down there. I've been involved in the Hardy Plant Society of Oregon for mm. going on 20-some years. Wow. And can was president for four. Yeah, can you tell us about the Hardy Plant Society? I sure can. It's a group now of up. To, it's twenty five hundred people. Our membership's gone okay. up. That's amazing. And the the region is, is Willamette Valley. Willamette Valley up into Washington. Into Washington, bit. and we have sister organizations. All there are sister organizations all over the country, but our our guys is really it's all about education. We deal with plants and design, and do a year round program planning and a whole different levels small intimate groups larger big programs Uh, we love it when we can interact with other organizations like the Oregon State Master Gardeners and Mm -hmm. we're going to do some things with you at your international conference that's coming up this summer it's going to be a lot of fun in July yes it is so and and our big thing with Hardy Plant right now is that we're a week well three or four days away from Hortlandia which is one of the west coast largest plant sales and that is this coming weekend. So there'll be some 75 to 80 vendors, plant vendors and art vendors out at the convention, no, at the um, Expo Center, Uh both Saturday and Sunday, and it's rock and roll time for plant perverts. Portlandia. (laughs) And where can people find more information about Portlandia? They can go to the Hardy Plant Society of Oregon website. There's information there. It's been in the paper every day this week. Okay. Okay, and it would be a great place to go and find unique plants and also super cool garden art. Yes, and one of the great values besides the the fact that you can go buy all these incredible plants is the chance to talk to the people who grow them. Okay. And can really, on a very intimate level, tell you about what they need, why they need it, Uh and how it can be used in gardens. Got it. In and plus region. you're getting folks who, who love to grow those plants oh, and yeah. are, love to share them with other people. And real experts. Totally. Real experts. Cool. This is Grow PDX radio show and podcast. We're talking with Lucy Hardiman about her work as a garden designer and horticulturist. Please stay with us as we'll be taking your gardening and landscaping questions for our final segment of the show. Give us a shout at 503-233-9729, or you can post your questions on video feed at Facebook at The Oregonian. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Weston Miller. We'll be back in a minute. X-Ray. Support for X-Ray FM comes from Portland Nursery. For over 100 years, Portland Nursery has provided Portland residents with a wide selection of healthy plants and expert gardening advice. Community-oriented and family-owned. Portland Nursery, a passion for plants, a nursery for plant people. Located on 50th and Stark and on 90th and Division. Ensayando 
X-Ray FM is supported by People's Food Co-op. Since 1970, People's has worked to offer responsibly sourced products at fair prices. Working with over 40 local farms to provide fresh, organic, farm-direct produce year-round. People's is collectively managed by community members throughout Portland. Located on Southeast 21st and Division, People's is open 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. More information about their location on 21st and Division at their weekly farmer's market every Wednesday from 2 to 7 p.m. and online at peoples.coop. a little behind. Welcome back to Grow PDX radio show and podcast coming at you from xray.fm and via Facebook Live at The Oregonian. Our guest is Lucy Hardiman and we're taking your gardening questions. I had a question on Facebook Live that says, what is paraquat? And the answer is, I don't know. Lucy, (laughs) do you know? I thought it was a poison. It's a poison. Yeah. I I would have to look it up. Yeah, that is a a name of an herbicide. Uh, And I think someone's asking it in the context of a kind of plant. Um, So that's something that we're going to have to look up (laughs) and get back to you on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It says herbicide for non-selective weed. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, Yeah. There you go. So um, it's not a plant. plant. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. We'll kill plants. And Lucy, um, you just mentioned briefly your parking strip. And I know you have a full presentation on parking strips that you give out in the community. What do you recommend in that tough, tough place to grow plants? I, a lot of research and a lot of trial and error and looking for plants that will be able to consort if you have trees in your parking strip, especially really difficult. So you're looking at for things that are just really, really tough things that people will walk on. Um, you have to consider folks walking down the street and let their an- letting their animals do their business in your parking strip. There's that. This is always my least favorite. Pla- l- allowing enough space in your parking strips for people to park their cars and get out and have a space to walk through to the sidewalk. Right. If you're blocking the car door, then yeah, that's, that's going to be a bummer. That's a really tough thing. But for me, it was starting with the right soil, taking out all the lawn in the parkway, bringing in some soil with a lot of pumice. Do you have a bit of a wider parking strip then, or how wide is it? I have it? one wider one and one narrow one. Okay. So I have, I have some of each. Okay. And it's been adapted, and it's changed a lot. Right. As plant availability has changed. So it is a giant science experiment. And then experiment. how do you get them established out there? Water them by hand I the water first them year? by hand the first year, and after that first year, they don't get any supplemental water. Okay, so you're deliberately choosing plants that are going to be really pretty burly. Right, and my whole garden is divided into zones according to the amount of water they need. Mm -hmm. And that's the driest spot right there. That's the dry, and then there's another spot that gets watered about once a month. The wall garden, which is on the other side of the sidewalk and goes all around, and the back garden is the only place I actually have an irrigation irrigation system. system. In order to grow plants successfully with decreasing amounts of water over time, really take special soil preparation. What's your Well, it, it depends on the location and, and what your s- native soil is. Of course, that's a misnomer because so many houses and subdivisions and things, there is no native soil anymore. In, it's all in the east infill. side of Portland, it's called mixed urban infill. infill. And what you're getting is really um, <laughs> Whatever. You know, a mystery because dirt it has is. been pushed around with bulldozers over it time. It is. 
It is. So some folks have large cobbles. Some have yeah. really um, clay soil. Clay. Some have really super well draining soil. It really is very situational. Well, the main thing is to, pr- to try to provide the growing conditions for the groups of plants that you're going to be working with in each of those areas. Pumice. There's a lot of pumice in our gravel uh-huh. beds, and we mm. mulch with quarter ten gravel. Okay, mulch with quarter ten, ten. gravel on the top and. My understanding is that as the soil expands and contracts, that gets sucked down into the soil a little bit and helps it, to loosen things up a little it bit? It does, but I, that isn't really why I use it as mulch. I'm trying to protect the crowns of the plants. Some dryland plants aren't used to our winter wet, so it's thinking through that process of when we get the rain from the sky and how that affects the plants Got it. and the soil. Yeah. So tell us about one of the garden design projects that you're working on this week, let's say. This week... Okay. Um, this morning I was with uh, an old a pr- woman who's and husband and wife who have become friends over the years. We've redone both their front gardens and their back gardens, and today was an editing day. What does that mean exactly? So editing that, the garden. Editing the garden. That means making changes where necessary, looking at the overall health of all the plants. Do they need pruning? Does anybody need food? And for mm. us, the answer is no. We mulch, but we don't fertilize. Uh, they have vegetable, beautiful steel vegetable beds. Today we were putting in a new Japanese maple where we had taken one out that got too big. So it's just that ongoing process of evaluating gardens and how they're faring. That really frames gardening and landscaping well as a continuum and not it, an event. Absolutely. It's not an event. <laughs> and I'm guessing this year with the cold weather that we had, uh, there's going to be a lot more editing to do out there for a lot of folks. I'm getting phone calls and emails every day about people having lost trees, plants having f- frozen out or, f- or having actual cold damage, which looks a lot like sunburn. So there are just a lot of variables right now, and, and people are unsure of quite what to do. And arborists have been busier than bird dogs. They have, with all the wind last yeah. week and all year, and I'm still waiting to see if my hardy bananas are going to pop out of the ground. I didn't mulch them very well last year in the winter. I have good news. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> Mine are starting, starting. to push, just, okay. and they're going to be slow, Yeah, but uh, it's it, they're alive. <laughs> there you go. Hey, we have a question from uh, a text message sure. listener. Um, they want to know what is a good vine to grow to fill in a two-story trellis. Go for it, Lucy. Uh, sun or shade. If it's in the shade, um, there are some options for plants that really can't be grown anywhere else in the country. Trachylos burnum jasminoides, which is a false jasmine. Star jasmine. Star jasmine. Evergreen will grow literally almost in the dark. I grew it up downspouts <laughs> on the north side of my house one year before it started to pull the downspout off. Uh, very easy to grow. Smells very, good. Smells good, very little maintenance, has a pretty white bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be an option for anybody in the shade and it'll grow two stories. They, they do, and they're evergreen. They'll stay yeah, there and they'll keep yeah. growing. And How about in the sun? In the sun, it's a l- little bit harder. Uh, I think a lot of people, use try to use evergreen clematis yeah. and that's great if we have mild winters but they always suffer some damage if it's really as cold as it was this last year yeah mm-hmm. so it wouldn't really sustain and actually star jasmine will grow in the sun too it will it would do pretty well in that it, situation yeah. it just depends on how much reflected heat there is mm. off off of the building of the so building. on the south wall it might get torched yeah, might but get in torched. A, a east wall it might be yeah. a little bit better mm-hmm. there's a, j- a jasmine called fiona sunrise that has chartreuse foliage that I've had pretty good luck with, Yeah, both in sun and shade. 
Lucy, will you just give us the details about Hortlandia coming up this weekend again? Hortlandia coming up this weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday at the Portland Expo Center on Marine Drive, 10 to 3 p.m. There is a charge, charged by the city of Portland, not by us, of $8 for parking. Uh, but other than that, the soil, the sale itself is open to everyone, no charge for entry. Check it out, Hortlandia this weekend at the Expo Center. And last question, Lucy, what inspires you the most about your role in Northwest horticulture? The people. The people. And that is the most common answer to that question, which I ask every week, is the people. And that's one of the great things about Oregon is we've got a lot of good people. We do. So does Washington and actually nationwide. It's a real community. And plants bring people together in a really fabulous way. They do. You've been listening to Grow PDX radio show and podcasts. Thank you to our guest, Lucy Hardiman, for joining us. My pleasure to be here. I really enjoyed it. The show is produced by me, Weston Miller of OSU, and Diana Suarez and Will Romy of X-Ray FM. Join us again next week at 1 p.m. on Wednesday. We'll be talking about vegetable gardening, and we'll be taking your gardening questions. You can catch a podcast of the show at Grow PDX on Facebook. Take care. Support for X-Ray FM comes from Hi-Fi Farms, a Portland-based clean cannabis company that seeks to empower local organizations in social justice and ethical practices. Through lobbying for socially responsible small businesses alongside the Main Street Alliance, working on energy standards in the cannabis industry with the Resource Innovation Institute, and putting a microphone to the best and most distinctive of Portland with X-Ray FM. When they go low, we go high. Hi-Fi Farms. More information available at hi-fifarms.com. X-Ray.